Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, church. We say good morning to all of you joining us online. It is exciting to be with you this morning as we continue in our series, The Kingdom is Near, where we are working through the book of Nehemiah. So if you are new with us, we have started a series walking through the book of Nehemiah, and we will be in this book uh, through the end of November. Then we're going to take a little pause, and we're going to celebrate Christmas and, and uh, look at some Christmas uh, texts to help us kind of be prepared to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to come back to Nehemiah in the new year. And so if you're new with us, we are excited for you to join us in Nehemiah. If you have a Bible or on an electronic device, go ahead and join me in Nehemiah chapter 2. And as you're doing that, as you know, maybe uh, you realize this, if you didn't uh, join us last week, we kicked off Operation Christmas Child last week, where every year we partner with Samaritan's Purse and we offer you the opportunity to partner with us as we partner with them uh, to grab a shoebox and to take it home and fill it out. The instructions are in the box, so you're, you don't have to figure all that out. It tells you exactly what to do. So if you are looking to grab some shoeboxes, we have some left. They're in the back. They're up here. Uh, make sure you grab one of those. And uh, November 14th is when we're asking you to bring those back so that then we can collect all of them and they can get shipped off uh, to kids around the world. You guys have always been incredibly faithful and responsive to this uh, outreach effort around the world, and so we're um, believing and trusting that we will do that again this year, all right? So you can grab one of those after the service. Have you ever heard the phrase, strike while the iron is hot? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Have you ever used that phrase, strike while the iron is hot? We're going to kind of see one of those moments in chapter 2 as we open up Nehemiah here. Last week, Pastor Tyler, he wrapped up, he finished up chapter 1, and we left Nehemiah weeping and praying over the ruins and, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the gates. And, and he was asking God to lead him in an effort to rebuild and to, to go and to bring this back to where it should be. And we're going to pick up the story here in Nehemiah chapter 2, we're just going to look at the first three verses. It's going to be our setup to what's going to happen uh, in the coming weeks. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Verse 2. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Verse 3, And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, demonstrates a truth that we read um, in another place of Scripture, and really throughout Scripture, and we're going to come back to this thought. But Isaiah 40, verse 31, Isaiah writes, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And we're going to come back to that thought in just a minute. And in a, in a moment of transparency, I'm going to tell you a funny story that really has nothing to do with our text today. 
But when, I, when God led me to this verse, it reminded me of a moment when I was in student ministry. And if there are any of you uh, students that were with me in student ministry, don't laugh out loud. Um, we were in a moment of a teaching in student ministry, and I was impassioned with the Word of God, and I was just speaking, and my voice was starting to lift, and it was just powerful in that very moment. And this verse was what we were looking at, and I was trying to quote this verse in that moment. And instead of saying, mount up on the wings of eagles, I said, mount up on the ings of weagles. <laughs> and in that moment, there's no recovery. <laughs> We stopped, and we giggled, and we laughed, and I was embarrassed, but then I realized that nobody's perfect, and the pressure I put on myself to be perfect in those moments is not a pressure from God. It's a pressure from the devil, and in that moment, it was a teachable moment to remind students that none of us are perfect, but God is, and in his perfection, he loves us, and so when I read this verse, and when God led me to this verse, and we were going to use it today, it reminded me of that moment and just that truth and just that, re, that refreshing principle that we don't have to be perfect. None of us are. So don't expect that of yourselves and don't expect that of others. We're all fighting some type of battle. We're all struggling. But we serve a God who is perfect, who loves us perfectly, who forgives us perfectly who cares for us and strengthens us perfectly. So when I read this again, this is a thought that we're going to come back to in just a few minutes. Now here's the big picture of our text. For four months, for four months, Nehemiah has been grieving and praying and fasting over the ruins of Jerusalem and what it has become. And he's been seeking God's help, but he's been seeking God's mind as he prays and he's, as he fasts. And finally, as we'll see in the beginning of this text today and into the next few weeks, God answers his prayer, gives him the next step in what he is to do. He opens the door, if you will, and he gives him the opportunity, gives Nehemiah the opportunity to take action for God's glory and others' good. Now, in order to understand what's happening here in verses 1 through 3, we need to go back to chapter 1 and just read quick quickly relook at verse 11, the very last verse of chapter 1. Verse 11 says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let this sink in. For four months, Nisan, which is in the verse First verse of chapter 2, then the month of Nisan. That is the months that we know as March and April, between mid-March, mid-April. Well, chapter 1, if you were to look back at the beginning of chapter 1, we had started in the month of Chislev, which is November, December. And that's how we come up with our four months. So four months, Nehemiah has been praying for the today. Did you see that? He's been praying for the today. Look at that again in verse 11. Give success to your servant today. So every day, Nehemiah prayed this prayer. He prayed today. Let that sink in. For four months, he's been asking for God to give this success to his servant today. And it leads us to the question, how is God going to answer this prayer? How is he going to answer this bold vision that Nehemiah has? What in the world? I mean, how in the world is it going to be possible for a servant of, of to be released of his duties of the most powerful man in, on earth, the king, this servant to be released of his duties, 
be sent on a task that looks with all intents and purposes as though it's an act of insurrection. And that will come clear in just a little bit. To go and build and defend the walls of Jerusalem. Who against? Who, who are they defending it against? The Persians. Who is he talking to? King of Persia. How is God going to answer? This is a godly prayer. This is a God-only prayer. This is a bold vision, right? And another thing that you see when you look at verse 11, Nehemiah isn't asking in prayer that God would just do something. Like, God, God do something here. How many times have we prayed that? How many times have we had our prayers be focused more about God doing that work in or through someone else, but not through us? He isn't just asking God to do something about the situation in Jerusalem. He's saying, God, use me in doing something about that situation. Give success to your servant today. Let me be a vessel of service. Let me be a vessel of your hands and your feet. Let me be involved in this glorious work for your glory in the kingdom. Do we pray prayers like that? Or do we pray prayers focused on God doing the work through others? Especially big, bold prayers. It's an amazing thing to pray. It's crazy. It's a crazy ask, it seems. But it's in line with God's glory. How in the world was Nehemiah going to get to Jerusalem? Even if he was gifted, even if he was qualified, even if he was the best man for the job, how would those circumstances be brought about that a servant of the Persian king would find himself, who finds himself a thousand miles away, be able to accomplish this? And maybe in that four months of praying, Nehemiah didn't truly know the answer either. Maybe it's one of those prayers like I've said, or maybe you've said, Lord, not even sure what I'm asking for. I don't see it super clear. And I'm not even sure how you're going to answer this. But this is for your glory and other people's good. This is how I see it. And I know that you're sovereign. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Where you didn't fully know what exactly you were praying for, but you... You knew God was good and sovereign and aligned with his will. You weren't sure exactly how God would answer it because it seemed just really outside of your scope of understanding and ability. That's how I feel with the kingdom campaign. That's how I feel with God's leading us to complete the work that he's begun here on our campus for, for his glory and the good of all the people that will need the work of Christ in their life, as we all do. I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. But I trust that you're going to do this. I believe that you're going to do this. So back in our text in chapter 2, as we kind of have now the flow here, here's your takeaway this morning. You're going to love it. Patience. <laughs> Someone has said, oh, Lord. <laughs> Amen. Patience. The first thing to see is that Nehemiah had to learn patience as he waited on God. Patience. The Psalms often say, I wait upon the Lord. Throughout the Psalms, I wait upon the Lord. And, and for Nehemiah, when he prayed this prayer night and day, saying today, he was learning to wait. He was learning to wait. A Psalm that 
I could reflect on and say is my favorite psalm, my favorite verse, really, in the entire Bible. It saved my, saved my life. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. That's Nehemiah. That's what's happening right now. And as we're going to see, Nehemiah was a man of decisive action. You're going to see that as you continue to study this book with us. And so when he prayed, it was natural for him to, to ask God. I mean, he was asking for it today, right? It's in the prayer. God, do it today. Today, right now, to provide this opportunity early, immediate opportunity to speak to the king. But he waited patiently for God to answer for four months Hebrews 6.12 says to us, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Nehemiah could weep and pray, but he could also pray and wait. Do you find yourself in a season of waiting as you're praying? Have you had to wait for God to answer a prayer? Nehemiah's prayer journal, there was nothing entered for four months. He was waiting. Patience. So I would share with you, waiting time is not wasted time. It's invested time. Waiting time is not wasted time. It's invested time. Quiet reflection could have provided Nehemiah with maybe a new, fresh insight on how he was going to approach the king. God could have been starting to stir that just like it may provide us with a greater understanding, a greater clarity as to the answer that God wants us to hear and to know throughout our prayers. He works in our lives this way. I mean, how many of us can say that we're impatient people? It's a, it's a, it's a place of confession. You're good. You're good. <laughs> We're impatient. We're in the right now. We're instant gratification people. We want our prayers answered tomorrow or even yesterday sometimes. We expect God's answer right away. Guilty of that. But what we see here and what we're learning in this moment of Nehemiah's life is that he had to learn patience. God was still working. In fact, there is much teaching in Scripture that a delayed answer does not indicate an unwilling God. We are taught again and again in Scripture to persevere in prayer, to keep praying till the answer comes. And what I would say to us is don't give up. But now we're in to the end of verse 1 and into, into verse 2 in chapter 2. And here we go. Now the action begins. Look again at, verse, at the end of verse 1. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, there, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. The time comes and Nehemiah moves into action through trust. This bold vision he has been praying for and praying about, the time of preparation has come to the next step, and that is trusting in God's work, God's promises, and that has propelled him into action in this moment. For the first time we learn, Nehemiah displays sadness in front of the king, to which we say, what has he been doing for four months? Because he hasn't left the king, he's still been serving the king. So we don't know for sure how Nehemiah was handling that in front of the king, but this is the moment 
four months later that he allows himself the emotion of sadness to be shown and seen by the king. And let's understand something about our faith. Maybe you have heard that Christians are always to be happy. We're always to be happy. I'll tell you and show you here that sadness is a part of life. It's a part of life. And godly people are sometimes grieved and experience deep sadness. And that's, that's okay. It's okay. God knew what he was experiencing. God knew what he was feeling. God didn't leave him. God was still at work. And we're going to see that throughout this book. Sadness and grief are normal emotions. They're normal emotions for people who deeply care about others. They're normal emotions because of pain, difficulties, and a loss that are part of a fallen world, which is what we live in. That's why heaven's going to be so great. Everything sad's going to become untrue. So Nehemiah, again, he's just a person like us. I mentioned that in the very beginning. We see it here. For context, displaying his sadness was a bold move. It's bold. The king could have interpreted this as something against him. Not what a taste tester would want the king to think. And the king could have actually had him executed. Notice what Nehemiah says at the end of verse 2. He says, I was very much afraid. Now his fear is going to be filtered by his trust. It's going to be filtered by his trust. Not in himself, but in the God who has been who he's been praying to for months. You see what's happened here? In that prayer and in that time of waiting, God was working trust, confidence, courage, all of those things he was going to need for this one moment, which is going to then propel him into more moments that he's going to still need that. So his preparation and prayer has provided for him a refuge of trust in God, not in himself. Not in himself. This wasn't of himself. This was of God. And the king asked why he's sad. And actually the king makes an, he makes an observation. It's insightful, right? He says to him, says, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? He said, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. This was deep grief. So I think he was sad for his people. He was sad for the glory of God. The king saw it. And in that moment, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. But his trust propelled him into the next part, which is action. Into bold and courageous action. Like I said, he was afraid for one reason. The king could have had him killed. When you were a subject of the king... You were to be content of all times. Subjects who were sad or, as some say, melancholy around them, raining on his parade could be executed. But I also think he was sad for a second reason or afraid for a second reason. He was about to ask the king of the Persian Empire to reverse a written policy that he had made, this king had made several years earlier about the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Recorded in Ezra, the book right before Nehemiah, Ezra 4.21, Therefore make a decree that these men to be made to cease, that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. See, Nehemiah knew this. 
He was afraid not only because of his maybe losing his life if the king interpreted it wrong, but he was also afraid of getting ready to ask an incredibly bold thing of the one who actually stopped it to, to begin with. He knew that this was going to take the power of God to get Artaxerxes to change his mind. This wasn't of himself. This was of God. So he filtered that fear through his trust in God. And when he filtered it, it led to his action. So let me ask you this morning, is there anything that, that you're paralyzed, anything that you're afraid of that's paralyzing you? Is it your past? You worried about something that you did that long time ago that maybe it will catch up to you. Maybe you're afraid of the present. You find yourself crippled by the, the fear of, of people or snakes or tight places. Maybe it's others. Maybe you're afraid of the future. Maybe you're afraid of the, the giant of death that, that is in front of us. One commentator explained it like this. He says, in the best-selling book called Who Moved My Cheese, the author asks a very penetrating question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? He points out that fear often keeps us from taking the steps we know we need to take. Fear can be paralyzing. I think there was, that's why there was such a time of preparation for Nehemiah. I believe that's why God led us to a time of preparation for what the, the steps that we'll take in the future for us. That we needed to establish and strengthen that trust, that courage that we would need to take those steps. And that we can't let these fears stop us from taking those steps that God is leading us to. So lesson here as we watch Nehemiah. He moved in step with God. You notice he didn't go out in front of God. He didn't lag behind him. He moved in step with him. And he did that because he believed the promises of God. Notice what happens. Look at verse 2, the end of it, to verse 3. He says, I was very much afraid. And verse 3 starts with, though, I said. It's an action. It's a prayed up action. It's what he's been praying for. God, give me this moment, right? He's been praying for this, that, that I'd find favor. Give me this moment. So the moment's come. The door's been opened. And he says, I was afraid, but I said. He, I moved in action. Instead of paralyzing him, he filtered that fear, and, and he overcame that through the trust that, that he had in God, and it propelled Nehemiah action. Months of prayer had prepared him for this crucial moment. Courage filled him when he realized it was no longer possible to hide his grief. Then using the wisdom, he affirms the king by saying, let the king live forever in verse 3. That is an affirmation that was necessary, but that was wise that he was to say that because what it does is it reinforces to the king that this sadness isn't about you. It isn't because of something coming to you. It isn't about your life, which was necessary. This isn't a throwaway phrase. This is an important phrase because it moves him next to the next part. And he says, I'm sad because of this. Verse 3. He said, why, why, why shouldn't my face be sad? In the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. You notice he doesn't mention the city by name. Jerusalem's history of independence could have turned any king toward questions of rebellion and caused him to wonder about his own security as he was the king of a kingdom. So instead of going that direction, he chose the personal route, which is always the better choice. 
What Nehemiah did was say, I want to honor the burial place of my fathers. And this made a lot of sense. This made a lot of sense to the king because the Persians honored their dead like that as well. He made a connection. God led him in that moment. It was an act of courage that wasn't of Nehemiah, but from the faith, trust he had in God's promises and God's presence. God had worked this into him so that he work it through him. And this is going to be for God's glory and for a lot of people's good. So how about us? Are we courageous? Are we bold? Are we willing to wait patiently for God to move and to present the opportunity for us? But in the moment the opportunity is presented, are we courageous? Are we bold? Are we courageous and bold in our faith? Do we prepare our hearts and our minds through prayer for the moments that need boldness and courage? As we live our lives, does our trust in God's promises and belief in God's presence in our lives propel us? Does it propel us? Does it compel us outward as we're called to be the light and the salt of the earth? God's going to use Nehemiah to bring himself glory. And we're going to see that Nehemiah, he wouldn't want anything else. May that be true of us. May God use us to bring himself glory. Let's pray. Father, Father, pray that you would blow a fresh wind upon us. That you would stir us as you establish us even stronger confident in who you are and who we are to you. God, that we would know you're with us, believe you're with us, trust you're with us, wait, be patient, listen, be still. And through that time, you would, you would place upon us, you would blow upon us a, a fresh wind of courage and strength, of boldness, zeal for your kingdom to come, for our heart for others, that they may experience the, the freedom that we find in Jesus the comfort that we find in Jesus, the security that we find in Jesus. God, may we be bold to take these steps of faith. May we be confident in what you are doing, that it aligns with your will and your purpose. God, may we name May we not be hindered by fear. May we be wise. May we step with you collectively, together, as you strengthen us with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.